0: Welcome to Brainstorm, Decoding Depression, where we will dig into discussions about mood disorders. We are here to change the way we think and talk about depression in an accessible, approachable way with a leading expert in the field. No topic is off limits. Coming to you from Dallas, Texas, this is Brainstorm.
1: The opinions expressed are our own and do not reflect those of UT Southwestern, the O'Donnell Brain Institute, the UT System, or the state. Hello, and welcome back to Brainstorm: Decoding Depression. I am your host, Erin Harper, a school psychologist and senior research scientist here at the Center for Depression Research and Clinical Care. Joining me here today is Dr. Madhukar Trivedi, the director of the CDRC along with special guests, Drs. Adrian Mays and Dr. Toby Fuller. Today's episode is all about resilience. Is it inherent? Are you born with it? Can it be taught? Let's get into it. A big welcome to our episode guests, Adrian Mays and Toby Fuller. Adrian is an educator serving as our learning supervisor, supporting our Blue Steel program. Toby is an educator, registered nurse, and program developer with more than 18 years of experience working with youth. And she leads our Youth Aware of Mental Health program, also known as YAM. So happy to have you both here. We've begun to start each episode with two questions for our guests. First, why should listeners care about this topic? And what's in it for them?
2: So thanks, Erin. We care about this topic because mental illness, specifically depression, is a critical public health issue. Depression rates are rising across the board, and the greatest increase is being seen in the 15- to 24-year-old age group. Approximately 37% of youth are going to experience a depressive disorder, and 65% will experience depressive symptoms before the age of 18. During the podcast, we hope the listeners will receive some suggestions to reduce stigma surrounding mental health, some approaches to normalize conversations about mental health, and we're going to discuss how to support and approach mental health, not only with treatment, but with targeted mental illness prevention efforts.
3: Erin, thank you for having me. So if someone told you that you could that they could help you become better able to deal with this world and all of its craziness at no cost to you, wouldn't you want to hear it? I, sure would. <laughs> I know I want all the tips and tricks I can make to make my life better.
0: So I I think we've been talking a little about depression, but I, my, my question to both of you and the topic we want to get into is about resilience, which is, at least things that we should be thinking about before somebody gets depressed or, more likely, even after they start getting better. What kinds of things related to resilience should the audience be interested in?
2: So, resilience is the foundational component of mental illness management and depression and prevention. It's the ability to maintain or regain mental health in the face of adversity, or basically how we bounce back from hardship or trauma.
3: So Dr. Trevetti, when I think about resilience, I like to look at it through two different lenses. With a more scientific definition from the American Psychological Association, which defines resilience as a process of adapting well in the face of adversity, trauma, tragedy, threats, and significant sources of stress. Then, with a Google definition (laughs) from Merriam Webster, and they define resilience as the ability to become strong, healthy, or successful again after something bad happens. So what I like to do is mesh them together, emphasizing two words, process and adapting. So a process is a series of things that produce something, and adapting is adjusting then my working definition of resilience becomes a series of things that produce adjustment after bad things happen.
1: So listening to each of your definitions, what I'm gathering from that is resilience can be defined as the ability to recover from or adjust to adversity or challenges. So I have a follow-up for for you guys. Um, Is resilience an inherent trait? Are some people born with it while others are not? Or is it learned?
2: That's a great question, Erin. Resilience is definitely an inherent trait, but research is definitely showing us that mental health resilience can be taught and developed, especially in teens and young adults.
3: I think further, if we think about resilience is not either a a you have it or you don't kind of thing. Um, Actually, many studies have shown that resilience is built over time and everyone can become resilient. Resilient people have difficulties and stress just like everyone else, but the difference is that they know how to deal with stress and negative emotions in a healthy way, and that allows them to grow as a person.
1: So resilience is not something either you have or you don't. That's what I'm hearing you all say. And just as many physical health conditions can be prevented or improved with proper diet and exercise, mental health resilience can also be built or enhanced.
0: Is that right? Absolutely. I think it also means the following, is that we don't need to passively sit back and imagine a world where you either get ill or well, or you get treatment and get well. You also have the capacity to actually help that process. You can learn about how best to adapt to these situations, and it can be taught. And so, therefore, you may not need to do it on isolation by yourself, but there are help, ways of helping people who either have difficulties with stressors, or have maladjustment in response to stress, that can then be taught to these, especially in the young population. I think we've spent a lot of time and effort trying to understand this so that we can begin to develop models that are similar to what we do for physical health, where adjustment, for example, if you're at risk for diabetes, then you can build in resilience by improving your diet and nutrition, and exercise. Similarly, for mental illness, mental health, and stress response, you can actually learn to be able to adapt and develop resilient approaches to negative things that are coming your way.
1: Thank you, Dr. Trevetti. So, Dr. Mays, could we hear a little bit more about um, your perspectives on resilience?
2: Definitely. Resilience is definitely a positive thing, Erin. Um, it's the hallmark of strength. And it's built upon our experiences of stress and adversity. The more we positively manage our stressors, the more resilient we become. And it's vital that we learn to grow in resilience because these are the skills that are going to be called
3: upon throughout our lives. Dr. Fuller? So contrary to what some people may believe, resilience is not being tough and not needing other people. Resilient people actually tend to have strong social networks. They have close connections with family and friends and other resources that they can call on when they need them. Resilience is indeed a positive thing, Dr. Mays, because resilient people do not ignore negative feelings or emotions. Actually, they're able to feel their feelings without being controlled by them.
1: Okay, I have another question for you. Can environmental factors affect a person's natural resilience? For example, can traumatic events affect a person, making them more resilient or less resilient? Or, on the contrary, can a person's resilience make an event more or less traumatic?
2: Great question, Erin. Environmental factors certainly play uh, a a part in increasing our stress and anxiety, and that's why developing resilience to move on from disappointment is so important. If we use resilience-building strategies to look at situations from different perspectives, we realize that the end of something can actually be the beginning of something new. For example, think about the impact COVID had on us, not only physically, but mentally as well. During that time, we were isolated from our families, our friends, our colleagues. We were forced into a different space for socializing and collaborating. Actually, my family had our first virtual holiday together during that time. However, if we review, if we look at our COVID experience from a different lens, The forced adaptation to virtual meeting spaces during COVID actually resulted in a better use of technology and for some people an improved work-life
3: balance. So for me, When you think about resilience, you have to think about it as this dynamic process or something that's constantly changing, that's on a scale kind of like a gas tank in a car. And so people can be more resilient or less resilient at different times and in different circumstances or situations, just like when you drive your car for a while. You have more gas, less gas. Most studies that are done to try to learn more about resilience happened after horrific events like the L.A. riots or 9-11, the Oklahoma City bombing and after school shootings. And all of that research has shown us that most individuals come through those events resilient. Researcher Anthony Mancini's work is a good example of that. He went to Virginia Tech after they experienced a campus shooting in 2007 and recorded student and staff responses who were on campus that day. And what the responses reveal was that 56 to 59% of the people that were present were resilient despite, and perhaps because of having gone through that terrible ordeal.
1: Thank you, Dr. Fuller. So let's talk about the CDRC programs. You know, we have several programs and studies such as the Texas Resilience Against Depression Study, also known as T-RAD, YAM, Youth Aware of Mental Health, and Blue Steel. So first, let's dive into T-RAD a little bit. Dr.
0: Trevetti, can you give us a brief overview of the study? So I think what we have done at the center is three things. One is there, there is a longitudinal study, which is the T-RAD study, where we are actually identifying people who have depression or bipolar disorder or their siblings or or their loved ones and and actually constantly monitoring them throughout the year for years on end. So some of our (coughs) research participants have now been doing this for seven, eight years where we actually begin to develop blood and brain tests in order to be able to predict What are the likely course or what is the likely trajectory of their lives after having had depression? But simultaneously, we don't want to wait until somebody gets depressed, and therefore what we have developed is two major programs which are actually designed to bring in the answers to the question that probably people in the audience have, and that is everybody's talking about resilience, but how do I do it? And so what we have done is combined all of the positive things about how best to learn about resilience, how do you develop resilience through two programs. One is Blue Steel and the other is YAM program. So I'm going to let them describe each of these programs.
2: Okay, so Blue Steel is a preventive strength and resilience building program designed to promote mental health with youth that fall outside of the YAM demographic. Blue Steel highlights emotion recognition and management, relaxation activities, and empathy. And when we invite youth to identify and examine their stressors, it gives them an opportunity to positively adapt to adversity. Blue Steel teaches youth that they are partners in their own mental health promotion, and it helps them to understand the importance of resilience. It helps them identify and normalize stressors, and it helps them cultivate a positive peer-to-peer support network.
0: And as you'll hear in both Blue Steel and YAM, one of the major aspects that we have introduced is that it is built on experience so that these young people, either youth, teenagers or young adults, when they participate, they actually go through experiential training rather than just didactic lectures. So this it is best to learn by doing things and therefore both Blue Steel and uh, let Toby describe the YAM program are actually hands-on experience so that they learn by doing rather than just hearing somebody lecture.
3: So YAM is a five-hour evidence-based interactive mental health promotion program for eighth through twelfth grade students provided in five 45 to 60-minute sessions delivered over three weeks. YAM seeks to create a safe space for inclusive and youth-led discussions about mental health. And as Dr. Trivedi said, YAM uses role play um, in which the students work to understand different perspectives and come up with possible solutions to problems that are common to young people. The reason for that role play is because it's one thing to give students a bullet list of, if your friend is in trouble, you can do this, 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 and this. But it's a completely different thing for you to put them in this scenario and for them to be able to act out or kind of decide in the moment how they would handle those kinds of situations. So the research that has been published on YAM outcomes show that participating in YAM results in decreased depression, decreased anxiety, less severe suicidal ideation, and increased resilience, increased mental health literacy, mental health help seeking, and help giving behaviors.
1: Wow. Thank you all so much. These are some exciting programs and studies. And I must say, one of the reasons I even came to the center is because once I found out about the work that was happening here, I said, how could I not, you know? So outside of programs like YAM and Blue Steel, how can parents and individuals work on resilience building with their children or other youth who they're working with um, at home or maybe in the community? Are there ways to practice resilience in everyday life?
2: That's a great question, Erin. At home, parents can assist children with strategies that will prevent them from becoming overwhelmed when they feel anxious or stressed. Simple things like going for a walk or listening to music or playing a game. Also, parents can use family time to assist younger children with projects like creating gratitude or happiness jars. When they're sad, they can open up the jar and reflect on the good things that they've experienced. There are also online apps for youth that offer anxiety and relief strategies, some paid for and some free.
0: There is also one of the things to think about is parents, I tell parents three things to do. First and foremost, you have to be a good role model. So one of the ways that you can actually do is model how you deal with social media, how do you deal with electronics all the time. So that's one thing to learn from and, and practice so that kids can actually mimic that. Second part is be available to have let them tell you about their mental state, their mood, their depression, their suicidal thoughts. It is okay for them to be able to come and tell you and that they will recognize that you will then be available to help. And that is a very important aspect to train parents so that we can be available. And the third thing is do not get too... (coughs) negative about seeking help when needed. So there are still a number of children, young adults, who will need the care they need in a mental health setting, be it in primary care, pediatric practice, or in mental health services. And so when a child, when a teenager or a young adult is not functioning with the signs of depression or anxiety, then we should be actually helping them get the help they need and that is the se- last threshold so that we don't ignore it, because un- unfortunately in mental illness, we end up only handling these things when there is a crisis. Mm-hmm. And the best way to build resilience is to not wait for the crisis, but to start intervening earlier.
1: Thank you, Dr. Trevetti. That preventative ap- approach is so important. Dr. Fuller? So I
3: think, in order to help build resilience in your child, I believe one of the best things you can do is to, to to encourage them to adopt a growth mindset. A growth mindset is one that says you can learn from challenges, and when you experience challenges, it increases your intellect and your abilities. If you use challenges and setbacks as opportunities to grow and learn something new. And it allows you to not just acknowledge that you're not a perfect person because who is, (laughs) but also to embrace that fact and to then try different ways to learn new things. So in essence, a growth mindset applauds effort, not just something you're able to do easily. And it keeps you from comparing yourself to others because we all have different strengths, abilities, and we learn things differently. And this world needs every single
1: one of us. Absolutely. So like I said before, it sounds like resilience is something that's both proactive or preventive and reactive. We proactively build up our resilience so that when we face a negative event, we can react in a healthier way. Do you agree with that
2: sentiment, Dr. Mays? Absolutely. The more we train ourselves to see the value in our valleys, we can react to changes in a mentally healthy way. And doing this is going to further increase our resilience to handle difficult situations
3: as we come upon them in the future. Dr. Fuller? I absolutely agree with that statement. A resilient person can have problems sleeping. A resilient person can get depressed. They encounter difficulties just like everyone else. The difference is is that that resilient person generally shows a more stable path of healthy behaviors across time. And if they have some kind of negative experience from an adversity or a stressor, they're able to bounce back from it quicker and sometimes stronger.
1: Uh, Does resilience have only a personal component or do support networks play a role in a person's ability to be resilient and cope with negative experiences?
0: Support networks are very essential for us to be actually functioning normally and be adaptable when there are stressors. And so social network, social connectedness is a key indicator, and some of it is actually we've often forgotten because when somebody gets into trouble, somebody has difficulties with anxiety, depression, stressors, they withdraw. So therefore, if there is a pre-existing social network that everybody has, then that network actually can come into play and take you out of that scenario so that you get the necessary help you need.
1: Thank you, Dr. Trevetti. Um, can resilience be measured? That—that um, That is, how does someone know whether they are becoming more resilient?
2: So there are definitely resilient scales out there, but an easy way for the layperson to measure resilience is to determine whether or not they are becoming more resilient by looking inward. So there are specific emotions that tend to present when we are less resilient, like sadness and depression or fear, anxiety. But when we see ourselves growing from past challenges or positive changes in our responses to stressful situations, I would certainly consider that a demonstration of becoming more
1: resilient. If there is one thing you want to be sure to get across to, to listeners before we sign off, speaking directly to parents or caregivers who may be listening, what would that message be?
2: Thanks for that opportunity, Erin. Because youth sometimes tend to internalize their feelings, they can struggle with serious stressors that aren't brought to light until they're in crisis. So we want parents to get into the habit of talking to our children about how they're feeling. Normalize those conversations about mental health, just as you have done with those about their physical health. Become aware of behavioral changes in your children and encourage them to do periodic checks on their own feelings because they're the experts. They're the experts in their reality. And when we do this, we want to allow these interactions to occur without judgment. And that way, your child is going to be comfortable coming to you for help when they need it.
3: Dr. Fuller? Resilience is not rare, nor is it something that you and your child cannot attain. You and your child can become more resilient by doing the things that you know help you feel better, like eating well, exercising, connecting with and helping others, spending time in nature, and encouraging and cultivating these behaviors will then allow you to better handle all that life throws at you.
1: Well, thank you, Dr. Fuller. And and thank you, Dr. Trevetti, and Dr. Mays for all of these helpful um, insights and tips that you've provided today. I'm sure that our parents and caregivers who are listening will greatly appreciate um, this information. So do you have an email address that our listeners may use in case they want to reach out to you?
2: Sure. Um, You can reach out to me at Adrienne Mays, .mays, Adrienne.Mays,
3: A-D-R-I-E-N-N-E.Mays, at UTSouthwestern.edu. And in order to get more information about the YAM program or to contact me, you can email me at yam. Y A M dot Texas at
1: UTSouthwestern dot edu. Wonderful. And Dr. Trevetti, if parents are listening and are interested in learning more about our research studies, how can they get involved?
0: We have a lot of this information on our websites. They can go onto our websites. You can go to utsouthwestern.edu and C D R C, the Center for Depression Research and Clinical Care.
1: Wonderful. Well, we're so grateful that you took the time to speak with us today about this topic and the CDRC's research. Thank each of you for being here, and here's to a brighter, more resilient future. Well, that's it for this episode of Brainstorm Decoding Depression with your host from the Center for Depression Research and Clinical Care. Be sure to follow us on social media at UTSW underscore CDRC so that you don't miss our episode announcements. If you have suggestions for topics or questions you would like answered, we have a new email address just for this podcast, decodingdepressionpodcast at utsouthwestern.edu. Thanks for listening and see you next time.